This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. Joining me this week, ultraviolet and infrared light from the unseen spectrum of light, Kara Shamborski. Hey. And Nick White. Don't bring eighth grade earth science into this. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you both for joining me this week for I Read Comic Books. I'm very excited to talk about comic books with you. But before we get too deep into things, I want to remind everybody that we have a hangout coming up on February 19th, this upcoming Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard. Be there. Don't be square. Bring a friend. Come chat about comics with us. Our last hangout was absolutely incredible. Um, I can't wait for this next one just because we got a good bunch of human beings on this server on our Discord. And it is just it's just amazing. Get a link to the Discord in our show notes. If that doesn't work, send me an email at ircbpodcast.gmail.com and I will send you a personalized invitation with a full-blown explanation as to why things are and not working um, from that invite in our show notes. And I'll get it fixed. But anyways, let's let's talk about comic books. That's what we're here to do. Uh, I have two legally mandated questions that I need to ask, and that is how have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Nick. Yeah, um, I guess... West Michigan weather watch would be um, the last couple days. We sort of got into the forties and the snow started melting and which is great. Cause then you get to see all these puddles appear and then you look at the weather forecast and it's like, it's going to be like 12 tomorrow. And then you're like, okay, so everything's going to freeze and I don't need to go outside, which was the plan anyway. So it doesn't really change that much for me. <laughs> it's, well, Nick, it's okay to go outside, get some vitamin D in your life. Please. Yeah, I mean, okay, fine. fine. Go outside. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll put it back on my Google Calendar, all right? As as the people on TikTok say to roast each other, go outside, touch some grass. Like, <laughs> what? That's right, what they say. They yeah. say, you know, touch some grass. It makes in, me so sad that I understand that. It makes me more sad that TikTok is now like the knowledge center of, um, you know, all things great. So... Um, but this is just me on the porch in my chair, rocking back and forth and telling the kids <laughs> to get out of the lawn. So here we are. Great. In terms of what I've been reading, uh, I did read Apache Delivery Service number two. This is written by Matt Kent, art and letters by uh, Tyler Jenkins, colors by Hillary Jenkins. If this team sounds familiar, it's also because uh, this art team last got together in early 2021 uh, for Fear Case, a book with some curious and kind of tenuous in-universe ties to Kent's previous work, Bang. I'm very interested to see if this book also seems to sort of coexist in the same universe. It's like very brief mentions and things like that at at this point, almost like um, like I'm not a huge Kevin Smith fan. Sorry, everyone. But like he has that obsession with that. um, What do they call it? Like the movie verse or whatever, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like occasionally one character, that character shows up in one thing and then it shows up in the other thing. And you're like, oh, everything is sort of interconnected. Like it's that very surface level at this point. But I do wonder if that's going to change. Also, want to point out about this book, I think it's super, super cool um, that not only does this book have a cultural consultant, but it also has a sensitivity consultant, and both of them are on the credits page. Um, Probably less cool is going to be me butchering their names, but I'm about to do it. The cultural consultant is Michael Shea-Ashe, Shea-Ashe, Shea, sorry, Michael, and uh, the sensitivity consultant is Asby Whitecalf or Whitcalf. And hopefully it's one of the two and not a third option. Um, 
but that's great. Could you could you tell me a little bit about what this book is about? Because I think you've talked about it, but I actually don't know what this series is. Right. And I, that's kind of a more complicated thing, which I guess I'll just get into right now. So that's a good segue. If you were reading the solicits for this book, it was sort of pitched as kind of a rip-roaring uh, treasure hunt uh, right at the height of the Vietnam War as these two characters, one of which who is um, Native American, but not Apache as everyone um, in his troop or regiment or whatever seems to think he is. And another character that we come to meet go on this rip-roaring treasure hunt during this period and end up deep in these caves and caverns of Vietnam where there may or may not be witches and other spooky things. Um, Mm -hmm. And like, that's the solicit, but having read the first two issues, and I think this is actually better, uh, it's much more of a slow burn character build at this point. And you, within these first two issues, you have these two treasure hunters kind of coming together or rather setting off on this treasure hunt, one of which is this American soldier. uh, And he's being told by this other guy who learned about this legend, about this secret Nazi gold um, hidden on this island by a Japanese general. Um, He sort of weaves the story of how the gold, you know, how he learned this narrative and how the gold ended up where it was. And it's, it's really well done because you sort of have this silent juxtaposition between this prose that you're, reading this narrative about the gold um but it's intercut with these images around this guy's house like you see parts of his house or things in his yard or things on his shelves that don't seem to agree with the story he's telling to the other character Mm. uh and so you're like this is kind of fucked up like you sort of there's this real disconnect this real discord there and if you read the issue i think you'll see that tension too like I'm not so sure we can trust this guy or it's the whole, um, I haven't seen the movie, right? But there's a whole usual suspects thing where it's like, oh, Kaiser Sosa did this, Kaiser Sosa did that. And you realize, <laughs> uh-huh. oh shit, he's Kaiser Sosa. It's got that same vibe well, going spoilers, on. Spoilers, Nick, damn. Well, what is he, that movie? He, like 30? Plus no one needs to see it. No one needs to see a Kevin Spacey movie. There's many people that could be Kaiser Sosa in the movie, okay? Wait, uh, <laughs> so, okay, I... <laughs> this whole time that Nick has been describing this book, I'm like, didn't Netflix just make this? And then I realized that while Nick was describing this book, I was thinking that it was the Five Bloods. But I guess, right? I guess every right. army Vietnam treasure hunt related concept. I'm just like, but we did that already. <laughs> well, I mean, I think the key difference here is that there may be no, there's no witches in into Five Bloods, which like I don't know that I haven't seen it. <laughs> Uh, okay. Yeah, well, and- as someone who has watched it, I can definitely assure you uh, that Spike Lee did not put <laughs> witches into that movie. But should he have? <laughs> I mean, this is not a movie podcast. Otherwise, I'd go deep in on that. Okay. okay. Yeah. So I I don't know. Does Does Xander need to cut out the spoilers for a what thirty year old no, film? No, Nick. I'm it's just fine. being it's an fine. asshole. Move on. I don't know. People are people are weird these days. Like you like bring up like a movie from like. 40 years ago and they're like i was gonna watch that next month or something anyway i don't know um <laughs> you but, still didn't reveal who kaiser Sozo was. it's fine just let's it's just fine. let's just it's go it's fine treasure yeah. hunting the fact that i haven't even seen the movie just makes it so much better it's like yes. you know it's just one of those pop culture peripheral things um it's like are you a human being on the internet yes then you know things about stuff we say these things, but I accidentally ruined Star Wars to my in my sophomore year of college to my roommate's what? girlfriend. 
she's no. like she's like what i'm so excited to watch the movie and i'm like are you really like we all know you know darth vader i am your father nick, blah blah no. blah she's like what nick no so see this is like with this is why with some spoiler <laughs> stuff i'm like don't do that thing because the purest video i've ever seen in my life is that video of um that girl watching lord of the rings for the first time and she oh, yeah. and she gets to the scene where um mary and pippin are in the woods and they're being taken to the white wizard and they think they're about to die and she just flips the fuck out and it's the most beautiful <laughs> thing i've ever seen in my life so that's why i was like even things that have been out for a while i'm like no somebody's gonna see that for the first time at some point let them go in don't be the person that ruins it for them anyway i digress yeah usual yeah. suspects is not that movie though yeah okay Fine, I, I just want to make sure that's <laughs> Uh, all I'm saying Anyways, is there there are still people out there who haven't seen Star Wars, although I think most of them at this point now have deeply embedded not seeing Star Wars as part of their cultural identity that they flaunt and they deserve to have it spoiled for them. So, um, <laughs> you know, you know, that's fair, Nick. I'll, I'll, I'll join yeah. you on that hill to die on. Uh, I will briefly also say I did read Hellboy in the BPRD 1957 Forgotten Lives. Yes, that is the title. They are titling these issues very weird at this point. This is written by Mike Mignola and Chris Roberson. Uh, who of of i zombie fame uh art by stephen green colors by dave stewart letters by clem robbins the gang's back again it's sort of a weird feeling to have this title be my pick of the week last week and then i'm on the show this week and then i'm like dear class i did indeed read the book as i promised i was going to so this basically feels like a book report now Nick, um, that's me on every show on every show i'm like <laughs> i listed this book on my what are you reading this week yeah, yeah, list yeah. and here i am danny says we love a continuity so it, we'll keep it it's good continuity is good <laughs> true to my word i did read the book i said i would um uh, Stephen Green, who did the art here, uh, perhaps most recently known for drawing uh, the Black Sun arc of Hellboy in the BPRD in 1952. He's also currently drawing the book Sea of Stars at Image Comics, uh, which is written by Dennis Hallam and uh, Jason Aaron. It's a really, really interesting art style. Uh, it's not a massive departure from Mike Mignola himself and sort of the stable of artists that are sort of aesthetically or tonally Mignola adjacent, I guess you could say, like Christopher Mitten or Ben Stenbeck. As I wrote in my notes, Mignola helmed books sometimes feel like watching Christopher Nolan movies. You're going to see the same faces cropping up over and over again. But there's a real stylized, painterly exaggeration to the characters. Professor Bruton Holmes' hair seems to break the laws of physics even more than it normally does. The right hand of Doom now looks like the size of several city blocks, um, but it's interesting and fun. Considering that this is a one-shot, and it's a normal-sized one-shot, like 23 pages, it somehow manages to do a little bit of everything. There's some lore and uh, in-universe in references and content uh, for the fans who want it. But it's also sort of a story that's like sentimental and not real saccharine. It has to do with the Potter's Field on Hart Island in the Bronx, which apparently is a real thing. Yeah. Um, Yep. Apparently over a million people are buried there and are still being buried there, um, you know, who are, you know, indigent yep. or or um, or yeah, exactly or unplanned or whatever. Somewhere. So it was interesting to learn some of the real history that they intersected into this book because of that. And they're having a problem because 
there's a haunting going on that's disrupting the future burial of more people. Uh, and Brutenholm and Hellboy are brought in to investigate. Uh, it's got some lo- Lobster Johnson uh, lore going on here, which is interesting. But ultimately, it sort of braces, embraces that Hellboy mentality of like ghosts have needs too. Like they're not always like, oh, we got to wrangle this ghost and it's evil and then whatever. Hellboy's always kind of had that mentality of like, you know, what do we need to, you know, to do to make the ghost go away or have its needs met? You know, this is the Wally West flash mentality of fighting crime. (laughs) Criminals are people, too. What can we do to make sure they're rehabilitated instead of incarcerated? Exactly. And and I put in my notes, uh, uh, while Ray Parker Jr. posited that Bustin makes me feel good, it's a selfish attitude that doesn't address the ghost's actual problems. Oh my so, god, Nick. Uh, <laughs> what the fuck, Nick? <laughs> That's gonna be entitled the episode. Bustin makes me feel good. I don't yeah, thank you. I don't think it can be. I don't I don't think that's <laughs> I think that's a bad idea. Um, Listen, this is a visual arts uh, categorized <laughs> comics, so or um, podcast, so we can do whatever we want. It, it, um, it's anyways, a, it is a song from a film soundtrack. Okay, it is a lyric from a song from a film soundtrack. There's nothing inherently chaotic about that. Nick, um, we can't fit that into the title of an episode. It's okay. Yeah. Um, Any last thoughts about Hellboy in the BPRD? No, that's it. Life. Okay. Okay. Kara. How about you? How have you been? How have comic books been? Have you read anything interesting recently? Oh, boy, Mike. Well, you know what? Okay, so a few things that I want to like touch touch back on going back in time through what we've mm-hmm. spoken about already today. First of all, mm-hmm. uh, the Discord hangout. Everyone should definitely come. Last time, we all just ended up yelling about owls, and it was great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were the dumbest birds, and I love them so much. Um, other... Star Wars related things while you were all talking about Star Wars one of my friends texted me that there's Muppet Star Wars action figures and I have never been more delighted to know something exists (laughs) 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 I have to do some further investigation but uh, yeah Muppet Star Wars the plastic interpretations of those are a thing Um, also it's my it's my birthday this week, so if you see I those, I would like those things. Please, thank you. <laughs> you can. We'll we'll put a PO box in the show notes, and we'll make sure they get to Kara in some way or shape or form. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, that's why we're recording a day early because I needed to move it for birthday festivities. So thank you mm-hmm. all for being part of this celebration with me. Plus, after this recording later tonight, we're going to be watching Twilight Eclipse as a family. The IRCB family is getting together to watch Twilight 3 for some reason. Um, for some as reason. voted on by all of us. I know. Well, we all voted on it. Well, actually, actually, what happened is I made a poll of nerdy properties that I thought would make for good group watches because you don't have to really think about them. And if you yell over them, nobody gets upset. And then I put a Twilight movie as one of the Mm -hmm. options. And then Tia helped persuade everyone to vote for Twilight. And that's when I snuck in and said, and the one we're watching is Eclipse. The one we're watching is Eclipse. (laughs) (laughs) I really just... I'm excited. I really just... I, you know, I only watch the Twilight movies in a group watch setting. Like, I've never just sat down and watched them by myself because they're so much fun to watch with people because the whole time you're just like what is happening (laughs) and why um so 
I'm I'm excited for that. Uh, that's uh, I I will talk about a Twilight comic related thing um, a little a little bit later in this episode. But speaking of romance, vampiric or otherwise, the <laughs> the comic that Perfect. the comic that I read this week that I want to talk about is Archie's Valentine Spectacular number one, which is a new comic book out from Archie Comics. And when I say new. With the majority of Archie comic books, what they're doing is they'll have a new story um, to lead the issue or the digest collection. And then everything else is um, an older story that's being used again. But it works because they have such an enormous back catalog and very few of the stories actually rely on any kind of continuity that you can just Mm -hmm. do that. So you can pick up an Archie collection and be reading stories from like the 50s to now in it um which mm-hmm. i've always liked about that publisher um anyway so <laughs> it's i i love holidays i love themes so of course i was going to pick up a valentine spectacular especially because the new story that they wrote for it is one in which archie is the dude who broke taylor swift's heart and launched her career <laughs> <laughs> No. Normally I'd say what, but I've at least read a hundred pages of Archie to a point where I just look at all of these things and just nod and go, yeah, okay. But that's yeah, what I yeah. love about this publisher because they're they can make any situation work and you're just like, I buy that. So, I'm just know, waiting for like a couple months where like, did you read the one where Archie kills JFK? And it's like, what? <laughs> Except that's not I the mean, reaction. It would be, oh did God. you hear it's the one where Archie kills JFK? And you're like, all right. All right. So, that makes sense. That sure. makes sense. So, okay. So it's not, it's not Taylor Swift. Her name is Taylor Sweet. But, you know, oh. it's, ta- it's Taylor Swift. It's this blonde singer-songwriter with an acoustic guitar singing about my gingerbread boy. No. <laughs> yes. I mean, when you think about the Archies, right? Like, Archie's always had, you know this way more than me, there's been a real interesting intersection with real music artists within the yeah. last couple uh-huh. of years. In the last couple decades. That's Archie amazing. meets insert band, right? It's it's just extra perfect because um, this week there was also a new Taylor Swift song that was released that she did in collaboration with Ed Sheeran, who is a ginger. So I'm just like, I, mean, I don't think they planned that, but I love it so much. Can That's you just amazing. address him by his real title, Game of Thrones star Ed Sheeran, please? <laughs> yeah, yeah, please. Show him some respect. Oh my god! So and it's just great because um, Archie is just like mad in the whole issue because it's like the girls love the song they love. They're just like, oh my god, we love Taylor Sweet so much, and he's just like fuming. And then he's in a, in the car with Jughead, and the song comes on the radio, and he's like, turn that shit off, except for children. <laughs> and Jughead right. is like, turn that conflagit thing off. <laughs> yeah, like, turn what? that insert wingding symbols off. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah, so Jughead's like, what is wrong with you, dude? And Archie's like, Jughead, you can't tell anyone, but I'm Gingerbread Boy. <laughs> <laughs> I am the Gingerbread Boy. And, Amazing. Like, I just love everything about this so much. And it's it's actually, the more you think about it, it's such a good plot concept that I really wish they would just expand this into a graphic novel and get Taylor Swift to like co-sign it. Like, really, that oh is gosh. what... That is what I want from this. Um, Anyway, so there's like a few more stories in this issue. And um, definitely my favorite one is the one where like the girls in the school are all obsessed with this 
romance story that's being released in like a women's magazine so they have to wait every month to get the next chapter of the story and i'm like what is this the strand are we reading sherlock holmes in the 1890s (laughs) (laughs) but um you know and they find out that the author of this story that they love so much is miss grundy (laughs) and no way and the best part like i i'm just gonna go against everything i just said about spoilers because i know the majority of you are not going to read this but the issue ends with miss grundy being like i made so much money off my novel i'm gonna go take a european vacation and the girl and betty and veronica are like hanging out at home saying gosh i hope miss grundy's having fun on her vacation but i think she's a better romance writer than she is experiencing romance in real life and then (laughs) And then they get an email from Miss Grundy and it's a picture of her with like who a person who is clearly supposed to be Fabio in front of the Eiffel Tower. (laughs) (laughs) Betty and Veronica are like, oh, maybe we could learn a thing or two from Miss Grundy. And I'm like, yes. Yes. Oh, (laughs) wow. That is that is something. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So. It's just great. I, you know, just if you ever need a laugh, pick up an Archie comic. You won't be disappointed. Um, and then uh, the other comic that I read this week is going to make me sound like a jerk because I'm like, <clears throat> uh, this is actually a comic online that is in French and not translated in English. So you can't enjoy it. But I do want to share very briefly one of my favorite French comic creators, um, Margot Maltin, she posts uh, comics and like little like um, short sequences to her Instagram account all the time. And it's okay. a great way for me to practice my French because I don't use French every day. And seeing words in a comic format is helpful because you have visual context for what's going on. And over the past like week or so, she's been posting a series of comics about like how can you tell if you're a little ocd about cleaning your house (laughs) and the way it's like every picture on her instagram that you like swipe through so there's like five in each post that um you go through sequentially so i am gonna go ahead and call this a comic even though i guess technically each box would be more of a cartoon and it's all this ridiculous stuff where you're supposed to it's like there's like a little caption of the thing that you do to neurotically clean your house And she has like Mm -hmm. a little point system so you can track your points to know exactly how neurotic you are while cleaning your house. And it's very clear that like she does all these things. So she's just trying to be like, I know I'm ridiculous, but how many of you are ridiculous with me? So Mm -hmm. there's like all these panels like, do you have multiple brooms? Do you have a favorite brush? Do you clean your cleaning items? She's like, she says, like, I have a horror of the soap that coagulates on the soap dispenser. So I clean my soap dispenser. And I'm just like, my favorite one is the one where it's like, so electrical outlets in France have much larger openings than the electrical outlets in the US. The US, it's like these two little parallel lines. And in France, it's more like these big circles and so there's like an illustration of her like digging into the circles of the electrical outlet with the end of a q-tip so she can get the dust out of it no what What? (laughs) like this is a different level but it just like the illustrations are so charming that i have been greatly enjoying the entire sequence uh wow (laughs) this sounds dangerous uh kara uh blink twice if you're not okay uh (laughs) 
I didn't do any of those cleaning things, Mike. Know, this is the artist. And then I guess my other comics related thing that's only loosely tangentially related to comics is I finally got caught up on Riverdale after letting that lapse for like a year because I'm like, God, this show is so bad. Like I can't even recommend it as a hate watch. It's just bad. And then I got caught up and I'm really mad because season five was actually good. And the start of season six (laughs) is insane. And I could I was just like, oh, this is where the payoff comes from, from slogging through like three seasons of mediocrity in the middle. But boy. But I just like I cannot recommend this series to anyone because I don't want to say season one is great. Everything else is trash. But if you enjoy ridiculous trash, some things are good. But you have to watch everything to know what's going on. And there's like no stakes and nothing matters and weird shit happens. And the reason why season five started being good for me is because it's almost like the writers looked back at the previous three seasons and said, hey, remember that weird thing that we did that confused everybody and we never resolved it? Let's bring that back. So there was like a lot of let's just double down on being ridiculous that I appreciated. But then but then like going back in and reading an Archie comic in contrast with Riverdale, like in this, in this Valentine special that I read, there's a few like moments in, in one of the stories where um, Mr. Lodge comes out to like, like get Archie away from Veronica. Cause that's always their dynamic. And in Riverdale, the show, Mr. Lodge is like a mob boss. Who's like murdering people. And in the comics, he's more like slapstick comedy And I had like completely forgotten about that because I was just so in this Riverdale hole that looking at an actual Archie comic and remembering that Mr. Lodge is at his best when he's just like trying to remove a ladder from under Archie while he's trying to scale to a balcony where Veronica is, is like much (laughs) funnier than him like holding a gun to somebody's head. So um, I am just loving this journey overall for me. I I am so glad that you kept on that train eventually because I am, you know, and I'm not saying that you should do this, but I am thinking with the insanity that was, I've heard from what I understand season five and I guess season six of like Jughead goes to war and all this other shit um, or Archie goes, I don't remember who went to war. Someone went into the army and came back like all messed up. Archie went to Um, war. Jughead became like an alcoholic writer and everybody ends up back in Riverdale because all of the teachers are gone from the school. So all the kids have to come back and teach at Riverdale High, which is how they can be in their late 20s and still in high school. Okay, so all I'm saying is maybe you should bring back that medium series. You know, that you did for a little while. It, you know, it, it, no pressure. It will, no pressure. it will just be me yelling, why is this happening? Here's some more <laughs> glitter. <laughs> that's that's perfectly fine. Well, you know what? Because um, what I wanted to do with um, the, the series of blogs that I was doing was write about, okay, how does this work in relation to the comics? And at this point, right, right, it, right. it isn't. Like, there is nothing okay. <laughs> relating okay. it back to the comics, except... One of the most recent episodes um, from season six, they do a lot of it, the the first like five episodes of season six were the special called River Vale. And I, I don't want to spoil it because you should actually watch it, even if you've never seen an episode of Riverdale, because each episode is um, it's kind of like a horror anthology where each episode is a different like horror trope that tells Mm -hmm. like a self-contained story 
And then in the fifth episode, you like kind of see how they're all tied together, but basically it's just insane. And you're like, oh, this is the writers just doing the thing that comic book writers do where they're just like, and anyway, here's a pocket universe over here. (laughs) (laughs) Just for fun. It's fine. We're just going to write our way out of this. Don't worry about it. Um, But there is a sequence that does have like the gang in a comic book store where they're like reading Archie comics. And it's like this weird meta moment that I really enjoyed. But aside from that, there's there's no relation to the comics at this point. Okay, okay, okay. Um, well, uh, for me, you, Mike? this week, um, <clears throat> I have been I've been playing Pokemon and and trying to read comics. I I don't know. Time just seems to get away from me. Isn't that how it is mm-hmm. for all of us? Um, but yeah, Mike, I did. Mike's I did gonna have to, read... to get one of those cabinets with a lock so that Kelly can put his Nintendo Switch in it, and then like yeah. leave out notes that say like "No Pokemon until chores are done" or something like that. Like it's 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 just so fun that Pokemon Arceus game is just it's so addicting to just be like I'm gonna go catch 15 Pokemon right now just for fun. Um, you don't have to grind for it; you can just go do it. But yeah, I, when I'm not doing that, I did read a couple of comics. Um, I sat down and read Once in Future, number 19 through 24, to catch myself up. Um, this is Kieran Gillen and Dan Mora. You know, the the moral of this entire story is this story is all about stories. And the only reason that things can exist in the world of magic is because there is story around them, um, or at least in this world. And the way that you can enact different things and set up different laws and rules that people have to abide by is because of, you know, Arthurian lore and stories that come with it. I ultimately, I don't want to necessarily talk about the individual issues, though I did think there was a funny little bit that he did with William Shakespeare that I was like, I don't really know much about Shakespeare, but I know this one thing, and the fact that he twisted it was really fun. Uh, Overall, this series is super explosive, like every page is bursting with action, and I really appreciate that, especially in this later arc where some things have changed about the world, and so you have to kind of play around with all of that, and you know, the, the the main characters of this story are consistent um, to themselves throughout. Like, there is growth, but at the same time, the, the character dynamic is, is there. Um, and you'd think that, like, the mismatch of stories on stories on stories thing would get old after 24 issues. But the more I read of the series, the more compelling it all seems to be as myth bleeds into reality, especially with these last five issues where things have been building for a long time to kind of a war of some of some kind, which is kind of, you know, what a lot of bigger comics do you know you end up with your walking deads or your i don't know power rangers where it's just like the war of the blank or whatever it ends up being um but this i i feel like is intentional and i think that the end in in the sense that in the end of this issue especially 24 there is a hard left turn that gillen takes that i was like oh so it is it's more of the same shit but because you've introduced this new element uh it changes everything um and adds like an infinite level of chaos to the to the whole story so i really appreciate that like when you know on the surface oh go ahead go ahead i was gonna say once in future might be my favorite ongoing right now because it's just yeah so fun like i don't know how else to describe it it just you can tell that the creators are having a blast and it just feels like borderline pulpy and campy but in a really mm-hmm. intellectual way yeah like i, I was just gonna say there the whole story is steeped in this like you've got to know arthurian lore and myth and all this other stuff but you don't you know i think gillen 
in in a lot of his writing sometimes you you when you read the first issue of something you go oh fuck this is going to be way over my head and in some of his writing it definitely is right but i think in this book he's found a way to approach something that i think a lot of people in western culture understand the idea of king arthur and his round table and taking the actual folklore of it and weaving it into the story and explaining it to us through the character of I think his name is Duncan, who doesn't know all of the stories because he's intention his his grandma intentionally did not tell him these things for reasons that are story driven. Um, so I think as we're learning about things, you know, Gillen is able to just weave the story into the tell the the actual fiction of the world. Um, and yeah, it doesn't feel like heady. It doesn't feel like it's trying to be smarter than you. It's taking like what is academic in in a lot of ways and making it part of a narrative that becomes compelling every single issue. And the more you learn, the more excited the story becomes, at least for me as a reader, I get more excited reading it. So yes, it's it's really great. Like, cause like on the surface, like if you'd have told me what this book was about, I don't think I normally would have picked it up. Like if, if you didn't give me the creators on this and just said, Hey, it's a story about fantasy, blah, blah, blah. Arthurian. I'd have been like, yeah, okay. It sounds really boring, but Gillen and Mora, like they smash together all of the fun fantasy, dark comedy, and somehow the imagery of like super heroics all into this one book. And I especially think like the last couple of issues, maybe the last like dozen issues, where we started to see more characters as and I'm, and I'm trying to tiptoe around spoilers here like as people have come into prominence in the story you can tell that dan Mora was like well what if we took that character who would normally be clad in this and make it look like a superhero costume you know but it's not a superhero costume because it's practical in x y and z um and i've really appreciated the way that they've they've styled everything in this book to make it feel like a modern comic book but still have its ties back to all the like you know medieval arthurian stuff so yeah once the future is great guys everybody should read that book it's pretty fun Plus, Dan Moore is incredible. Like, as an artist, I feel like everything I've read that he's drawn, I've been just super sucked into because his art style is amazing. Like, uh, yeah, World's Finest is a book that he's on pretty soon, and he did he's done all the Klaus books. He's doing this book, and I'm just like, man, what, what can't this guy do? He's, he's really, really impressive. Uh, the one other book I do want to talk about, and I'm gonna I gotta get on a soapbox here because I was really blown away by this issue. Um, this is New Mutants number 24, written by Vita Ayala, art by uh, Danilo uh, Beirut, colors by Dan Brown, letters by Travis Lanham. New Mutants is the only book that is actually an X Men book about life on Krakoa, as far as I'm concerned. The rest of the X Men books are about the life caused by Krakoa, this Krakoan like utopia that was created as part of the House of X Powers of X thing. And Vida Ayala has been given the chance to write a story about the teenagers and the people who are living on Krakoa and what their life is like. And the thing that I really appreciated about this particular issue is that while it was really, really wordy, there was a moment in the issue that focused on the idea of rehabilitation and, uh, I don't think that comic books talk about this enough. Like we we take this idea of when a supervillain gets caught, we just throw them in the clink and throw away the key and they're never going to get out there and menace to society, blah, blah, blah. And one of the core tenets of the House of X powers of 10, you know, Krakoan utopia, like the ideal utopia is that Professor X, with the exception of Sabretooth, and we're, we're discovering what the ramifications are of that in, in uh, the Sabretooth story, like no one has really gone to quote unquote jail. Right. You don't get you don't get put in jail or you don't get super like severely punished in terms of crime, like uh, corporate. What is it? Corporate uh, corporal 
corporal punishment, geez, oh, Pete's, you don't get punished in that way on Krakoa. If you do something that goes against the laws of Krakoa, you are rehabilitated or you are, you know, people work with you to try to figure out why you've done the things that you've done. And I, I, I'm probably oversimplifying it, but the thing that really struck me about this is the Krakoan world is not perfect, right? The X-Men living in this utopia is 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 fake, but they are still provided with, you know, unlimited medicine and housing and all of the things that I think we we strive for in in modern society to try to better all of the people that live in it. And I think that the House of X powers of 10 hinted at all of this stuff um, when Hickman kind of created this world that this is a perfect utopia where people will want for nothing, um, but in a way that still allows them to to explore themselves and do what they want and try things and experiment and, you know, love who they want to love and uh, have for, have informed relationships how, however they want to the point where we see like uh, Cyclops and Wolverine and Jean Grey in this like thruple type of situation. But there's also been mentions throughout this book of people having children and then just kind of leaving the kids but not in a way that's like abandoning them for like you know foster care or whatever that happens in the united states instead leaving them to a community of people who are like i want to raise children and so we will raise children as part of a village but people are allowed to just procreate and not have to take that responsibility on it themselves and it's like a different way to look at the way that we handle things in general but the thing and all of this has been touched upon in the new mutants book which i think has been interesting but the thing that really got me is about this whole issue, and I'm going to say full spoilers for New Mutants 23 um, and parts of 24. If you haven't read it yet, press pause, go read it, come back. But this issue focused on the rehabilitation of the Shadow King, a.k.a. Amal Farouk. Uh, he's a dude that's been a villain for a really, really long time. And there was a moment where all of the characters who have had uh, you know, issues with him in the past and in the most recent arc of the story got a moment to speak to him and say, I forgive you. Or they chose to say, I don't forgive you. But all of them came together to say, we all hope that you can become the person that we know that you could be to better all of mutants, to better our society. So they took him away from Krakoa. He's now living on Mars with uh, in Araco, which is where all the other mutants are living, to basically find himself and understand like, and atone for all of the things that he's done, but not putting him in jail, not removing his freedoms, not saying that you have to sit in this box and you have to be regulated and all this stuff, but he's going somewhere to better himself to, in order to re-enter the you know utopian society. And I, I really appreciated that Ayala decided to focus on that for a few pages in this issue because it's important, I think, to see that type of story reflected if we're going to talk about a future world where something like prisons are abolished, um, where we get rid of this idea of having to put people in boxes just because they did a quote unquote bad thing, whatever that bad thing may be. And I know that there's levels here and we could get into the granularity of it, but ultimately rehabilitation is the goal. And I don't think that, you know, like our current prison system does that very well. And I love that Ayala was like in this utopian world, why would they put him in a box? Why wouldn't they just send him to a, re a way to a place where he could rehabilitate in a way that is positive um, without removing his freedoms and just basically destroying his life with the understanding that every single character there was saying we know that you've you've done wrong in the past but we know that there's a future where you can atone for those things and you can come back and be a part of our society in a way that is meaningful so yeah i don't know if that was the point of this issue but i fucking really appreciated it <laughs> mike how many times have the x-men been in some kind of utopia because i feel like this is a recurring theme for them but i don't read enough to know if it's actually a recurring theme uh they 
not i mean they've they've tried many times right like there was the utopia x thing that they did where they took magneto's uh comet or rocket or not comet, asteroid that was like going around the earth and like smashed it into the ocean and lived on top of that for a little while but like what? that was built on like yeah there was a whole thing where they were like yeah we're gonna live in san francisco and then oh california was like hey fuck you mutants and they're like we're gonna go live in the ocean just off of the coast um and it was a whole problem but like these utopias were never with like the understanding of let's bring everybody into the fold to try to create a solid place for all mutants right like never before have we seen at least in my to my knowledge a place where all of the villains as well as all of the heroes have come together to say we are trying to better our people right in 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 the past it was always like oh the professor xavier school was like the utopia or um utopia x where we all lived on this thing yeah we had some of the villains and some of the heroes and all that stuff living together but there was schisms constantly no one could agree on who was going to lead and how they were going to lead and instead there's like this parliament style leadership that exists on Krakow. like again i think hickman saw all of the history of the thing in the x offices you know when they put all this together saw the history of the x-men and said what would an actual utopia in a good natured world look like for these characters and that's what they tried for with this and i think they've done a good job because i mean we've been reading this for two plus years and it's there have been hiccups like there has to be drama in order for the stories to continue but i think like the new mutants book shows that there is a life beyond just those instances and we can still come back to be regular humans and people together. I have an X-Men sidebar. Did I hallucinate that you recommended a series called Hellions? I definitely did. Okay. Yes. So I tried to search for it at my library and I did not like think, oh, Hellion is also a word. It's not just an X book Mm -hmm. title. Allow me to read to you a selection of titles that include the word Hellion in my local library. We have (laughs) the Hellion Bride. The Lady Hellion, The Hellion's Waltz. All of these are very clearly romance covers with women in really luscious looking dresses. The Hellion and the Highlander. That one has a shirtless man. And then there's a Hellion in her bed, which is a partially shirtless man, but he's wearing a flouncy blouse. Um, Anyways, that's what I want to see in a series called Hellions. I just want like the X-Men, but in flouncy blouses. (laughs) I was waiting for Kara to be like, anyway, I checked all of those out. Haven't started the comic yet. Uh, None of them are X-Men books. Um, Yeah, well, uh, let us know how that goes with those books and uh, check, you know, let us know next time you're on the show. But anyways, I thank you guys for letting me get on my soapbox there. I I love I love that issue and I can't I can't speak about how great it was. So, um, yeah, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about our commissioned episode. Uh, This is from our good buddy, Jeff, who uh, backed us at at our ten dollar tier on Patreon. We've got a great episode uh, topic for today. So we'll be back in just a second. Before we get into this week's topic, I realized that we 100% skipped over top of my pile. Uh, we did not say what we were excited for. And you know what? Quite honestly, maybe we shouldn't. But I, I feel bad. Uh, I'm blaming it on the three beers that I had last night. So I'm going to pass things over to Kara. Tell me what is on the top of your pile. What are you excited to read next? Okay, this is 100% because I'm making you all watch Twilight Eclipse with me later. But I actually want to read the Twilight graphic novel. And I know I just lost the majority of our audience, but bear with me here. This comic is not for you. This comic is for (laughs) the people who don't read comics. Because looking at the Amazon reviews for Twilight, the graphic novel, it's not comic people. It's people who are like, Uh 
Um, I read the book and I saw I was really excited to see that there was another interpretation of it. And I saw the film. And so it's so them all like comparing this graphic novel to the novel itself and to the movies. And the majority of these reviewers, again, are not people who read comics normally. So, you know, there <laughs> I started my notes for this kind of with a bit of mean spiritedness where I was just like, Oh my God, these reviews are so funny. They're talking about how some of the art is realistic and some of it is cartoony. And I'm like, well, yeah. Cause if you don't talk about a medium and you don't have the vocabulary for it, you're going to use looser language to describe what you're seeing. But mm -hmm, a lot mm -hmm. of the reviews were also just like, Oh, I bought this book for my eight or 10 year old and they really liked it. And then their younger siblings really liked it. And my three-year-old flips through it because they like the pictures. And I'm like, yes, that's how I started reading Batman. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it just really appealed to me that even if this comic, um, which is done in a manga style, like even if I actually read it and I'm like, well, the plot of Twilight is dumb anyway, so I'm not going to like it. Or if I'm like, well, this manga style like isn't really working for me. Even if I go in and am like a super snob about it, I have to accept that this is perhaps the only interaction with a comic book that a lot of the people who read it have. So I do think there's value yeah. in looking at books like that and saying, what is the average non-nerd person experiencing when they experience something they understand to be a comic or a graphic novel? This was billed as a graphic novel it's clearly done in like a manga style and a manga format, but like that's the language that the average consumer understands to be. The book has pictures that will tell me a story sequentially. Mm -hmm. And then super quick, the other book that I want to take a look at that I just randomly saw on Amazon is called Cook Korean by Robin Ha. And it is like... <sighs> I, this popped up on my search results because I was looking at the Porecraft cookbook, which comes out next month, which is a Spike Trotman project um, that was crowdfunded um, by, I forget what service, but it's not not Kickstarter. And Oh, they're just doing it on their website, which I think is amazing. Yeah. So the idea of having a comic book cookbook is so fascinating to me because I'm like, at what point... Like, is does your book have a plot? Does it have character development? Or is it just like a cookbook with illustrations? But for the book Cook Korean, it has almost a thousand reviews and it has a five star rating. So like something in it is clearly good and engaging. Um, okay. So I'd like to to check that out and see what's going on there. And those Very are the cool. things that I'm excited for. Amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And for getting through that quickly, I guess. We got so much to say in this week's topic because, Jeff, we promise we're going to get to it. But, Nick, what about you? What are you excited for next? Well, briefly, to, to add on to Kara, I, I don't know if you've read the comic. I think it's called To Eat and to Drink is the title. There's two volumes of it. Um, it's no, a French comic that's been translated, and it's it's great for people who like eating but don't like cooking, for people who do like cooking, for people who are new to cooking, for people who are just interested in the world of food. And maybe I've got that title wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's to eat and to drink. And the first two volumes are on Comixology Unlimited. The third is on the way. So um, you might enjoy that. To drink and to eat tastes and techniques from a French kitchen. Okay. So I just had it flipped. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's exactly right. So Thank you. Yeah, no problem. And that, you know, readers take that recommendation as well. I've read the first volume, really enjoyed it. 
For me, it's got to be Undiscovered Country, Volume 3 this week. This is from Scott Snyder and Charles Soule, uh, writing Giuseppe Camoncoli and Leonardo Mar- Marcello Grassi on art, Matt Wilson on colors, Crank on letters. Yeah, I, I, I have to admit, I'm not the hugest Scott Snyder fan these days. I'm, I haven't really started Noctera. I'm not really reading anything else he's doing, but... I, I, I have enjoyed the first two volumes of the series. Uh, the solicit for this volume reads, uh, the journey through the transformed United States continues as our group of explorers ventures into the third zone. Uh, possibility, a region built on the endlessly evolving landscape of American creativity. Uh, from folklore to VR, the team will encounter bizarre transformations and amalgamations of the nation's greatest cultural achievements as they try to survive long enough to tell a story of their own. It's been interesting to have books like this, Undiscovered Country, and the Department of Truth kind of coming out alongside the events of like the 2020 election and the COVID-19 mm-hmm. epidemic. Mm-hmm. Um, so for those who are unaware, Department of Truth launched in September of 2020, pretty deep into everything. And all but the first three issues of Undiscovered Country have come out since COVID was a widely known thing. So it's sort of interesting to, especially when you realize that Tinian was sort of well, Snyder was the mentor of Tinian, and I'm not saying there's like some deep-seated connection there, but it's interesting that the two of them sort of landed on kind of adjacent ideas at the exact same time, sort of yeah. exploring like, what is America right now? Where are we headed? Like, what are the multitudes of like futures that like await, potentially await America? And where are we going in terms of that? That's what a weird, stupid blanket statement, Nick. But I think you know what I mean. Both are exploring the possibility of America, right? And so in that regard, I'm very excited for this volume. Even if people at the beginning of like the series were like, you got to read volume one. And I'm like, volume one is about a fucking plague. I'm not reading that book. (laughs) And they're like, it's not totally about a plague. And I was like, what is that? Is that your fucking poll quote? Like, is that your poll quote? It's not totally about a plague. Uh, <laughs> comics beat or something like that, you know. God. <laughs> anyway, sorry, comics beat. I, I don't think you said that about this book, but uh, very exciting. Yeah. I've enjoyed it so far. Yeah, maybe I have to pick that up because I didn't realize that that's what this book was even about. So I just I saw it as like Snyder and Soul, which meant that it was going to be loved by fanboys and probably mediocre. But if you're saying that it's good. Uh, maybe I'll check it out. And your so. fears and reasons that you did not initially read it are the exact reasons that I also did not read it yeah. for a while. Yeah. So I totally get where you're coming from. Yeah. Uh, well, for me, really quick, I guess before I get into mine, we're hanging out with Danny on the Discord. Remember, you can always join us on Sundays at 1 p.m. Typically, we're recording on Saturday because of Kara's birthday, but typically Sundays at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard. You can listen to these episodes live and chat along with us as we record. Danny's hanging out with us, and his pick this week is Primordial, number one through six. I think he's finally getting into that sorrentino Lemire joint that people have been uh, we've been talking about quite a bit on our Discord because uh, a lot of people have a lot of thoughts about that, myself included. But the book I'm excited for this upcoming week is Iron Fist number one. This is by Alyssa Wong on writing uh, Michael 
YG on art, uh, colors by J. David Ramos. Uh, and this is a mini series about a new Iron Fist. It sounds exciting. Like, who is the new Iron Fist? After giving up his power to save the world, Danny Rand believes he's seen the last of the Iron Fist. But when demons begin to attack cities around the world, classic Danny, uh, a mysterious newcomer in a familiar mask appears, hands blazing with the chi of Shao Lao the Undying. Who is this new Iron Fist? And does his power really come from the dragon of Kunlun? Or is something far more sinister? Uh, I don't know. This it sounds cool. Alyssa Wong, I've heard great things about her writing. Um, willing to check this out. I always have a soft spot in my heart for Iron Fist ever since I read that Brubaker Fraction joint. Um, every time a new Iron Fist comes out, I always want to try it. I always want it to be that caliber of Danny Rand. So I'm excited to try this, if only just to see like what this miniseries is about. Um, and really quick, I do want to mention, I'm also excited for a Righteous Fist excuse me a righteous thirst for vengeance number five this is rick remender and andrea lima arujo uh this this book i don't i don't want to talk about it all i want to say is this is the most bizarre movie that i've ever read because it is clearly a movie that rick remender has turned into a uh, a comic book like if you like the professional you will like this book that's the like the only way that i can think about or leon the professional you'll probably like this without the whole weird pedophilia thing that is in the professional that doesn't exist in this book but it's got like that same weird like everything is just slowly rolling forward and there's nothing you can do to stop the momentum of this story for some reason leon the professional is the first movie that came to mind but i really like uh, righteous thirst for vengeance i think it's pretty good so anyways we're gonna move on we talked about comics i'm so glad that we did that now let's talk about jeff's topic it's a big one so i'm gonna read this blurb that jeff sent over because this this topic itself is not a simple one but i think that all comics fans experience this i think modern comics fans have this problem mike, so um mike yeah uh, for our lovely listeners how did jeff get to pick the topic of this episode yeah so as i as i said before the break uh jeff is one of our ten dollar patrons we at we have 12 slots open on the ircb patreon um for folks that want to commission episodes so if you head over to patreon.com slash ircb podcast you can join i think we have one slot left uh to commission an episode we've got other people that we're waiting on commissioned episodes for um but if you sign up for that i'll send you a form you can fill out a thing and then once we can fit it into the schedule uh, we'll record the episode you get to pick the topic you get to pick the folks that are on the episode maybe we'll have a little bit of a, a one-on-one chat in our discord we've got a special room for the ten dollar uh ircb inner circle is what we call them um so make sure to go over to patreon.com slash ircb podcast you can get all sorts of stuff back in at the five dollar tier but if you want to back us at the ten dollar tier you can commission an episode of the show so that's why we're here today to talk about jeff's big topic um and i'm going to read this big long blurb that he sent over to us because it's really good and it really hits like it really describes the problem here that I think Jeff wants us to get into. Um, and he said the challenge uh, or he wanted the topic to be the challenge of supporting the comic book industry and local economies is to acquire a physical good, i.e. you cannot purchase a digital product while supporting your local comic book shop. There is or there was a way to get around that, but we'll talk about it. Um uh, where physical goods itself is a possible collectible, but almost certainly not. And that creates an artificial sense of scarcity that this industry takes advantage of the FOMO fear of missing out and has devised the system in which you must acquire side stories and one shots in order to have a sense of completed story. How can we as people who appreciate the medium of graphic storytelling also find the balance of not consuming while also supporting our local businesses bonus. If we can talk about how to get rid of the crap that I bought that we brought into our lives too. I literally don't know what the best way is to offload a bunch of long boxes and it makes me a little sad. 
And so Jeff picked me and Nick and Kara to come on this episode, um, and, which I, is to say, if you commission an episode, I don't have to be on it. If that's a thing that'll sell you on this thing, like, so <laughs> <still> be it. <laughs> but I, I appreciate oh. that Jeff's rationale Ooh. for picking us, and I'm paraphrasing in the extreme here, is just like, I think these people will yell a lot about this thing. And he's right. <laughs> Um, well, but but I think that Jeff really brings up a point of what the lifelong comic book fan faces, right? It's a, well, it's a problem that I think. Uh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I've been talking nonstop. It's a, it's so you know, okay, someone Mike. else. So, um, first of all, there is no ethical consumption under capitalism. So let's get yes, that yes. right off our chests. Um, but that aside, I mean, anyway, we're all sinners. Aside. Let's move on to part two. Great. Exactly. Exactly. I just wanted to like zoom out, and now we can zoom back in because this entire topic is hella granular i struggle with this all the time like i have a local comic shop i've shopped there maybe twice in the past year i get a lot of stuff from the library i i hate this but i do it because it's cheapest to just get graphic novels on amazon especially if they're having a sale or like when Barnes and Noble is having a sale i'll pick stuff up then like that's how i've been collecting the hellboy library editions and it's just like uh, i don't know i get my comics where i get them i read things on hoopla i just reserved um that like french comic cookbook that nick was talking about from my local library it's like i don't i don't buy everything i don't always get floppies sometimes i get digital i went through a phase where i was like buying drm free digital pdfs direct from publishers and then Mm -hmm. them just getting like lost on my computer because i don't care enough to organize everything so Mm -hmm. So I'll 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 start with the the bonus part of this question because that's I think the easiest part to tackle of this of like how to get rid of the crap that you've brought into our lives. Um may I direct you to the works of Marie Kondo, which is you don't we do have a collector mentality as comic book fans because we've been trained mm-hmm. to view these uh floppy issues as these almost like sacred objects when originally Like the reason why golden age stuff is so scarce, especially in good like quality is because they were designed to be thrown out as soon as you read them. It's like a magazine. It's like a newspaper. And somehow over the decades, we've gotten away from that. And we're just like, but I have to hold on to every book I've ever bought and keep it in my long boxes. And like, that's what it's like, dude, it's paper. You can recycle it or you could donate it to a library or like have a like i know it's fraught because we're still in a global pandemic but like on a nice day put them outside by the curb with a sign that says take some comics no like redistribute them to your community what if other people around you want to read some comics for free and wouldn't otherwise can reach in there and grab whatever hasn't started burning um nicholas what i but but this is but this is the thing though I think that Jeff is getting I think he's aware that like you know you can recycle this stuff honestly do it if you don't if you 
just just want to get the stuff out of your house, do that. I know that comic fans, everyone's clutching their pearls right now. I understand. But go ahead, recycle it. They are recyclable paper, right? But I think what, what the Jeff is really trying to get at is like, how do I take these things that I've spent time and I've put love and care into, um, just even just keeping in boxes at home, yeah. um, and I don't want to recycle them. Is there is there a good way or the best way or what is the best way to distribute them back into the comics community, right? And my, my first thought is like, honestly, package them up into like distributable groups and give them away for free and just make whoever wants them pay for shipping, right? Say you've got the all of the Dan Slott Amazing Spider-Man run. That's just the first thing I think of, which is like, you know, 80, 90, 120 issues, something like that. You know, put them all in plastic and wrap them up in tape, put them in boxes and just say, hey, these are not going to be perfect, but I will send them to you for free as long as you pay the shipping. Right. And I think that's the best way to do it. Like find a place like a Discord or or Twitter or Reddit or something and just say like, hey, these are free comics. They're not going to be in the great shape. But if you want to own them, so I no longer have to, I'll send them to you. That to me is like the ideal way to get rid of that stuff. Sometimes, you know, it's not everyone's going to want the mask issues number one through four that I bought from Dark Horse, (laughs) which is like a garbage series. Um, And I get that. So it's it is tough. Here's my other thought that I thought of just now. We're only a few months away from free comic book day, at least in the States. I don't know if that's a global thing. Go to your local comic shop and say, hey, can I like donate you my books on the stipulation that you give them out for free on free comic book day or Mm. see if you can do something with that or like me. I'm sure there's other comic fans in your area who have this same issue. Maybe your Mm -hmm. local comic shop, if they're nice and community minded behind the counter can do something like, yeah, on free comic book day, everyone can set up with their free stuff and we can have like a swap or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Some places do that. I know, I know there are other comic shops that are like, we don't take any comics from anybody. Like we just don't, we don't do rebuys. We don't do, you know, even to give away for free. Like sounds like a tough guy thing. We don't take comic books from anybody, (laughs) especially (laughs) you. you. Well, I I mean, I only say that because like, you know, I know some shops, uh, especially looking at like free comic book daycare, because I think that's actually a really good idea. Like, go to your comic shop and be like, hey, with this date, can I just give away my books? I'm not asking you to distribute them, not asking you to do anything. I will just like put them out and just mark them for free because that's an option. I But I also will say like, I went to a comic book shop after the last free comic book day. And maybe, you know, during the pandemic is a little bit different than non-pandemic times. But um, they still had stacks of free books. So my worry is that you bring them to this shop and then they're kind of just stuck with some comics. That might be a problem. Well, that's why um, you like it, go there and say like, hey, I'll I'll come here. I'll like stand by my books at the end of the day i'll take back whatever is not there yeah or like see if the local yeah, that's true or like see if the local library is just going to be like hey can i give you these floppies just like put them out like you put out magazines and people yeah. can just like yeah. take them you know i can just imagine the shop like handcuffing you to the desk and they'll be like yeah i'm gonna hold you to this you're not going anywhere <laughs> I, <laughs> i'm only laughing before. because <laughs> I'm only laughing because I could totally see some comic shop owners doing that. <laughs> it's like you will not leave this shop until your books go with you. Yeah, right, right, right. I mean, and that's a, that's a realistic problem for these shops, right? Is that they've got so limited space because like the the profit margins for comics and stuff is so slim. It's like they can't afford to keep you know take another long box or two of comics, you know. And I I totally feel Jeff's pain here, you know. Um, how do you get rid of massive amounts of comic books at once? And it's it's a it's a big question. I donated mine to my local comic book club in my at my university that I started. I'm pretty sure that those got thrown away or people just took them all home eventually. But like the goal was just to get long boxes out of my house, you know, and that I somehow did that. Well, th- I think one of the most interesting parts of of Jeff's 
question is when he says, how can we as people who appreciate the medium of graphic storytelling also find the balance of not consuming while also supporting our local businesses? God, you- Jeff, you just want it all. <laughs> Greedy I mean, little you Jeff. Can- <laughs> if you're going to support a local business, you are going to be a consumer. So the question is then, yeah. what do you... Are, are you okay with just like buying some comics, knowing that you're contributing to your local economy and then taking them home and deciding like, ah, some of these I'll keep, some of these I'll recycle, some of them, like I've got a friend, I think they'll be interested in this. Like, I, honestly, that's what I did the most recent time. I went to my local comic shop. I got a stack of floppies. I like over the course of a few months, I would like pick one up every now and again and be like, oh, it's really nice to have just like, a one issue comic book and like not everything mm-hmm. is like because most of the books i buy at, at this point are like here's a very nice hardbound edition of this book that i can put on my bookcase and never look at right. ever again but i just like knowing it's there and so right. it's just like have a floppy and be like okay i read this this is not the best thing i've ever read in my life i'm just gonna throw it in recycling or like one mm-hmm. of them is like oh i actually liked this issue let me hold on to this and maybe i'll revisit it and then in a year or two, if I actually haven't looked at it, maybe I'll recycle it at that point. Like, mm-hmm. But again, like changing the mentality of, oh, my God, what if this turns out to be a collector's edition? Spoiler alert, it's not. You don't have right. Action Comics, number one. The comic that you buy is not going to significantly appreciate. Hold on to it if it means something to you. But if not, like if it's taking up space, I don't think you should feel bad about just getting rid of them. Yeah, I, I- I, Nick, we haven't heard from you for a minute. I mean, like, what are what are some of your thoughts on this? I don't sure. know if you've struggled with like, how do I handle all of the books that I've got? Because like, I I definitely feel that pain. But um, I'm I'm curious to know what you're what you're thinking about this. I mean, uh, obviously, people have posited a couple uh, different solutions here. I think another alternative idea is to just leave a stack out in the woods. Um, so that the hunters who are like, oh, look, I found a stack of Playboys are like, what the fuck is Green Arrow at World's End number three? <laughs> <laughs> and are there any boobs in this? Answers, there there are no boobs in this. So that's that's another option. Um, sure, sure. Uh, I mean, all, all joking aside, like, I get it. It's, I, I think when I was thinking about this, this topic the last couple of days, something that sort of came to mind is that Obviously, there are certain binaries and spectrums that we think about with with comics. One, of course, being like, are you a real comics fan versus a not real comics fan, which is shitty and that shouldn't exist. But then I think there's another one that sort of I've been thinking about recently, which is like the are you a sort of a, a true comics fan or like a real vested one in terms of like, are you are you buying singles? Are you buying local Um you know, are you collecting full runs? Do you have a big pull? Do you support the shop in other ways? Mm-hmm. Which I think is another kind of not real healthy way of thinking about fandom, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I realized that, you know, Jeff was largely talking about shops, but I, I do think it is important to say that, like, you know, help the comic book industry grow and flourish in, you know, whatever way that means for you. If that means you're buying digital that's fine. If it means that you're um, using Hoopla, if it means you're using Libby, your local library, those also send messages to your local library or, or your app about what's in demand for you. And that sends those libraries or, or apps to go and purchase more items 
akin to what you're interested in, which of course benefits the industry further. So, you know, don't, don't think you're a bad comic book fan just because you don't live near a shop or because you don't have an extensive physical pull or because maybe you're forced to buy your trades from Barnes and Noble instead of an independent bookseller. I get the guilt of feeling like you maybe don't do that or you can't do that, but you know, don't don't feel that way. There are other options. Well, it, yeah. it's interesting that you uh, I, when you said just now that like don't feel guilty about it. I do think guilt is a huge part of this for a lot of comic fans because we are like those of us who read floppies or like pay attention to the newest graphic novels that aren't necessarily like a film tie-in. I do think there is this sense of almost of obligation that's like, oh, so few people read actual comic books. I am keeping the industry afloat by mm-hmm. paying for these books. And if I don't do it, the whole thing will collapse. And it's like, right. Yeah. Yeah, buddy, that's capitalism. But you don't have to yeah. buy it. You don't have to literally buy into it if you can't afford it, if it's not serving you anymore, if you decide you don't like the book anymore, like. And and there's there's no denying that like and, and you know coming from someone who who was you know unemployed for for a period there and who had to call my shop multiple times and be like you know what sorry like I've got to close down more of my pull I've got to cut more of my pull like my physical pull at this point is is very small and but it's that whole process began because i had to cut it there's no denying that if you buy into the idea that you should have a sizable pull at a local shop and you're buying books in floppy form when they launch um there's no effective way of doing that at an affordable level it just doesn't sure. exist you're 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 going to spend more money than the person who prefers to trade weight or mm-hmm. uh, someone like me who knows that if I wait two months to buy a Dark Horse issue digitally, um, I, I, I can pay half price. Same thing goes for Image. So it's, it's, it's a more expensive model. And so people shouldn't feel like that is the model that is ideal, the one that belongs on a pedestal, the one that makes you someone who's truly um, keeping the industry afloat. So I, I I do think that's important. Yeah. I think another important part of what Jeff's asking about here with like the comic book industry, I think especially the big two having a lot of event books where there are all these tie-ins and, and one-shots, you know, like Mike and Paul and I recently mm-hmm. talked about Final Crisis and like yelling about all those tie-ins. And it's like, eh, I love star wars but the second i saw war of the bounty hunters was going to be an event i lost all interest and i haven't read any of it because i'm just like you're doing the thing yeah i don't want to be part of that so for me like i don't think this was necessarily the healthiest response but i hit a point with event books around 2010 where i was just like i am not interested in events i'm gonna read more uh, self-contained books. I'm going to read shorter runs of acclaimed series. Like if it is, if it's an event, I am just not interested because I hate that you're making me feel this way. 
And like that was my response for better or for worse. Well, and it's tough. And I, I will say for folks that are listening, Jeff did give us a little bit more information like in our Discord chat about this. And he talked specifically about like dropping Spider-Man because of uh, issues with changing writers and all that other stuff. But he felt the obligation, like how do I then replace that and so on and so forth. But like to Kara, to your point, like it, it's weird that, you know, especially when it comes to like a physical, you know, purchase, right? Ending up having to buy like random one-off issues of comics that you weren't even interested in. Like if I didn't want to read the, the I don't know, IG-88 one-shot that maybe came out as part of that. Don't or, bring I, that I don't into this. Don't bring that <laughs> I, into I'm this. Just, Find another I, example. I don't know. That one's not Dengar acceptable. Some, or something. Or I don't know. Any of the Star Wars characters, you know, any any of the, the tie-ins that were quote-unquote required reading for the event, you suddenly end up with a bunch of quote-unquote collectible items at your house that you don't even want anymore, right? And so how do you reconcile with like, yeah, I wanted to read this story. I wanted to support my shop. Um, and I also wanted to be clued in with the storyline. Um, but I don't want to have to own this physical thing. And I think the alternative here would be like, well, then just buy them digitally. But then you run into this collector's mentality of like the cognitive dissonance of like, well, I own the whole story in physical except for these couple of issues. And you kind of start to scratch this or get this weird itch of like, well, it doesn't feel complete. And it's because we built up this this collector's mentality. And Jeff pointed it out in his in his bit about this, about like how collecting books becomes a collectible hobby experience when it's just a story right would you ever look at the books that you buy for paperback pros and be like that's a collectible you know like no you just see them as books and i think the the problem is that we've created this mentality i know we talked about it already but that all of these things are supposed to be treated as precious and i really think we have to get away from that like what should be treated as precious is i think the way that you know, like the the special edition graphic novels to be like, that's the precious thing, not the throwaway stories that you weren't sure. Like we should we should be looking at single issues as like these are all just testing to see what's good and what's bad. And then the final like what survives out of what's popular um, based off of some other way. It shouldn't just be sales is what ends up getting like the deluxe edition of the collectors, blah, 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 blah. And those are the things that should be cherished because they are in, in like precisely put together with high value, everything, paper and backing and all that other stuff. And it's I don't know, it's tough because we want to support all of these books this to touch on a point that we mentioned before you know we say we want to support these books we want to make sure the numbers go up we feel like the comic book industry sits on our shoulders and i felt that pain for many many years i still feel it like to this day because when you talk to creators they say buy my book otherwise it's not going to survive and they don't say it like that but that is the implication right if the numbers don't reflect what they want to you know what a publisher wants for a book to succeed then that book's going to go away so we feel this pressure on us as as readers to be like, well, I like this book, so I better buy it. I better buy it twice. Yeah. I want to make sure this book survives. Multiple copies. And it sucks be- because like at the end of the day, we actually aren't the people like the p- people who are buying comics aren't the actual people that make that happen when it comes to physical copies because the your comic book shop had to order a certain number of copies, you know, three months before it even comes out. So you have to make exactly. a bet. You can't return those books. So if you're a shop owner, you're making yes. a bet three months out that people are going to buy the book from you that you have ordered at the direct market price. So really, the comic book publishers are selling to the shop owners and the shop owners are trying to do their best based off of what they know about their customers but if you have a customer base that's not like i'm following twitter and i'm getting the 
diamond order code from the creator that I love who's posting it so I can tell my LCS that they need to order this book. Like nobody, like a very small percentage of people are Mm -hmm. actually like engaged enough to be doing that. So it's really like the shop owners are independently deciding what's going to be available at their shop based on what sells. And what sells for a lot of comic book shops is the events and the tie-ins or the shops want to order like X number of issues so they can get the variant cover that they can then sell on eBay at a markup. Like uh-huh. it's, it's complicated. It's really, right. really rough. This is like, so I, I to, to bring this, I, and I, we've done, I feel like we've done a lot of issues of other episodes about like the local comic shop experience, not to completely cut you off Kara, but like to bring it back to Jeff's point. It's like, if you want to support your shop, then pre-order or order collected editions order special like order things from your your shop as you want them not to i don't know try to try to push away that fomo feeling i guess i don't know so i i totally went in a different direction so i i did not mean to Kara. sorry no it's okay because it you know i the the big pieces of this question to me feel like what do I do with all this guilt and sense of obligation that I'm feeling about this industry that I love, but is super Or just flawed. in general about life. Yeah. Nick. <laughs> and the, the, I read between the lines, Jeff. And the concept of comics, we've been trained to view them as collectibles, even if they're just something that we read and decide that that was not something we want to read again. And then we feel, but I can't throw it away because it's it's a comic. I can't throw it away. And it's really hard to over overcome that. And that collectability mentality, you know, Mike was saying we got additional context on this question from Jeff on our discord. And one of the things he adds is like kind of a throwaway, but I think is sort of central to this collectability mentality is he said, quote, and now we're adding in how digital comics are going to NFTs for their collectability on quote, like Ugh. this problem is just transferring formats. It's still this idea of, but I need to have in my hands this physical item that I am told is valuable and I don't necessarily feel that way. But what if it is valuable or like what if one day it becomes valuable? But why does it need to be valuable? Yeah. Right. Like what what why does the a thing that brings you joy from reading have to have any value beyond just the experience of reading it, right? Uh, and, and this is me getting mad at the concept, right? It, saying Because I, I get mad at myself about this, thinking that all of these things were so collectible and so needed to keep in pristine condition. You know, I got to bag and board them and make sure they're in a good... Like, to what end? Am I going to sell them? And if I'm going to sell them, to who? Who wants to buy them, right? And the, the NFT portion of this, I know I've done... We've talked about NFTs uh-oh, a lot uh-oh, on the show recently. Uh-oh. The NFT thing also ties into this in saying that the only way that those things have quote unquote value and that you can earn money off of them beyond just paying exactly what you originally paid for it is if there's somebody out there willing to pay more money for it right and that's where you know when it comes to like your single issues that you've got sitting in boxes that are bagged and bored or slabbed or whatever the fuck you did with them to try to preserve them the only way that they have value is if there's someone else out there who was willing to pay more than what you paid for it right and that that market does not exist for the most part for most books um i think that there are uh, dozens and if not hundreds of stories out there where this has happened but they don't happen to regular people right like the comic book industry is what like maximum 80,000 people buying single issue comics, right? Maybe 100,000. That's it. 
in the United States? I think it was like like hundred thousand, um, including digital. I don't no, know. No, what's that? Um, I'm totally blanking on that box, that like nerdy box that bought like a hundred k issues. Oh, of loot box. yeah, loot, box. loot crate. Yeah, yeah, loot crate. It's like a hundred and eighty thousand, where they or would just like artificially. That, right? fuck up but the numbers that, for certain books yeah but like that's a low number and that made headlines because that was a high mm-hmm. number right. for the comics industry so right it's like like mike said this is this is a super tiny market when you really think about it yeah so i mean i don't know i feel like we're we're i'm, I'm meandering all over jeff's questions because there's a lot of things to say about this but like the collectability it should not in my mind, I it's taken me a long time to unlearn the idea that anything that I buy is going to be a quote unquote valuable collectible. Yep. Right. At this point, I'm buying comics for my own personal collection of like I buy number ones of of books all the time that I think that I've already read, like or that I've bought digitally. Right. Like Monkey Meat number one. I have a copy of that physically because one day I would love to meet Junie Ba and I would love to get it signed. That's it. That's the only reason I kept it. I don't think I'm going to resell it. I just want to be able to say, look, I got a signed edition to this book. That's pretty much how I I view my physical comic book purchases of floppies nowadays is like, I want to own this for my own collection because I read it and it was so impactful and meaningful. So I go to my local comic book shop and I will pay a premium to support that shop because I don't I'm not a regular buyer from them, right? I'm not, I don't have a big pull list with them. If I do, it's like two or three books. But I do buy like all my graphic novels and all that other stuff to them. And that's how I try to fix this problem of I want to support the industry, but I can't do it in the way that is the, I don't know, preferred method. Because at the end of the day, let me tell you a little bit of a secret. Oh. Every comic shop person that I've talked to probably over the last five to six years has switched from floppies to, to collections. Like... The majority of their purchases are collections and not floppies because they understand this this issue of floppies aren't actually the thing you want to collect. Floppies aren't the thing when you say, man, I want to reread East of West. I'm not going to go pick up my my East of West floppies. I'm going to go read the collection because it's so much easier to handle. So at, at the end of the day, does that mean that those floppies are worth nothing? Absolutely not. Keep them because if those books meant something to you, you should hold on to them for dear life because they are important to you. And you can, at the end of the day, hold that badge of honor for yourself and say, I've got this thing. But that does not mean that they're going to have any value beyond personal value. You know, um, and I think that's how we should treat floppies. For the most part, I edited, but that's me. Yeah, I edited my floppy collection um, maybe like five or six years ago at this point. And like I had kept every book that I bought in high school and college when I was at like my peak of local comic shop book consumption. And I had like multiple long boxes and I was looking through them and I was just like, when am I going to read these again? So I went through everything. <laughs> no, I like I went through everything. No, that's the question. That is the best question to ask yourself about when you're trying to figure out how to deal with all your single issues is when am I going to read these again? So, and which ones would I actually want to open up and read individually one by one? Well, it's not even that. Like, so I, my entire, like the, all the floppies that I own right now are in like three short boxes. And when I was like going through everything and deciding what to keep, I was like, all right, what did I really enjoy reading that I could see myself reading again, at, even if it's like 10 years in the future? What is worth the amount of money I'm paying for the real estate that I live in? And like, what is probably not going to be collected in a trade? So like some of my favorite series that I was reading in the 
mid 2000s were things like Shadow Pact at DC, which was all about their magic users. Besides, of, mm-hmm. besides like a first volume of their first five issues, that shit's never been collected. So I kind mm-hmm. of knew that. Like I was like, I'm probably the only person who's like enjoying this as much as I am. So I held on to all of those because I really like that series. And I'm like, it'll. I I could not see it ever really being collected unless they do like a digital PDF dump at some point. So for me, mm-hmm. I was like, I want the physical copy of that. That meant a lot to me. And it's not going to be collected in trade. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's I don't know. It's tough. And, you know, I think that probably a lot of people listening to this show have very different opinions about this. I think that IRCB, we at IRCB are all very like, I don't know, against the idea of the collectability of comic books and stuff and the valuation of comics. Well, sure, because it goes somewhat hand in hand with speculation. Yeah. And I I think the speculator market is actually is like very unhealthy for the physical comic book product, because at the end of the day, who's buying those comics is it people that actually want to read them or is it people that are just trying to resell them um i i mean one of the th- the crazy thoughts that i had in my head is like if you want to participate in your local comic book shop community and your local economy and stuff maybe see if they have a program where you can like just say hey i want to give you guys like a 50 dollars gift certificate for someone that comes in and maybe they can't afford more books than they actually want and just i want to pay for them in advance you know like get more comics into the hands of people that actually want to read them you know, I don't know, something like that, like buy gift cards for people, you know, somebody that or, or, or you know, spend money in the shop in a way that isn't necessarily taking something home um, if you really want to put money into the economy. But um, I, yeah, I don't know. In our uh, Discord live chat, Danny said, but how do I throw away art? Which I think is also part of this because you know how friggin long it takes a penciler and an inker to do their work on a page for a colorist and flatter to do their work. Like, Mm -hmm. and my response to how do you throw away art? Once you have purchased the book, you have helped financially support the artist. And if there is a piece of art that you like, I, I'm about to like ever talk about pearl clutching guys. I tore a cover off a comic book the other day. I tore the cover uh, off. Hold on. I tore- episode's over. Hold on. <laughs> I tore the cover off of a Batman Adventures issue because I read the story and I was like, this is super cute, but I don't think I'm going to see myself like rereading this again. Like, it's fine. I read it. I enjoyed it. Whatever. The cover is like a super cute Bruce Wayne in his little bat outfit with his mask off and he's drinking a cup of tea that alfred has just brought him and it's the most wholesome thing i tore that shit off so fast and i'm just gonna i don't even know what i'm gonna do with it yet i might frame it i might put it in like a scrapbook i might just hold on to it in a little box and like find it when i'm cleaning my room one day and just be like (laughs) oh but like if you like a piece of art in a comic book cut it out tear it off i i love that idea i love that idea decoupage Um, a coffee table Make a scrapbook we, of your favorite comic art. Yeah. So I don't know. There's, I think there's, I mean, there's clearly more to be said about this, but I, I'm curious if you guys have any final thoughts here because we probably should wrap up. This is the longest episode ever. Nick, any any last thoughts about this this whole ordeal? Yeah, I mean, sort of just, just touch on what's sort of been brought up uh, right now. I, I think part of the whole issue here is that comic books are just something that's now been coded as as collectibles that's just the way Mm -hmm. it is and we say you know danny you know not to make this personal right you said how can i throw away art i mean if you look at like a magazine right like the new yorker or or something of that sort um that's just filled with all sorts of you know pieces of art that have been you know commissioned or paintings that have been 
you know, done uh, or graphic art throughout the whole thing that have, you know, been commissioned for the magazine. And we throw that out every month. But comic mm-hmm. books have mm-hmm. just been coded forever as collectibles, which is hilarious because we now think of them as collectibles because we thought at one point that they were worth a lot of money. And they only became worth a lot of money because back in the 30s and 40s, there were pages in them where your kid colored in the page or tore mm-hmm. out the page and sent in the form for um, for the decoder ring or uh, it just got thrown away in the trash. And so they only became valuable because at one point they were a disposable item. And now we're forever stuck with this idea that they're a valuable item, even though everybody who gets comic books now, or a lot of them, think that it's a valuable item. So they're all holding on to their comics. And so nothing will ever be worth anything, I think. Yeah, that is that is how supply and demand works, Nick. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm still figuring economics out. All right. It's just uh... <laughs> I was going to say this has been macroeconomics with I read comic books. <laughs> I got a four on that AP test. Thank you very much. I did yeah. just fine. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I think support for the comic book industry is support for the comic book industry and obviously not including Pirate Bay and all of the other things that are quote unquote support, right? So I I mean for me personally, you know, I I I started with trades and I moved to singles and now I'm just at a point where space wise the idea of uh, even thinking about it just makes me anxious, you know, uh, bagging, boarding, the idea of maybe even grading or slabbing a book, getting storage shelves, filling them up, making sure that it's stored in a place in the house that has inadequate humidity that's plus or minus 50. Like this used to be things that I would keep track of. And it's 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 mentally taxing. And for me, mm-hmm. When I look at a lot of those long boxes now, uh, it just stresses me out because, like, yeah. I I know that if I'm going to read those books again, I'm going to pull up my digital copy because then I don't have mm-hmm. to find the box and I don't have to put it back and I don't have to wash my hands so I don't get my oils onto the book and I don't have to worry when that when I open it up that I'm going to attach the tape to the comic or the tape is going to turn into goo and you know whatever like. Maybe that's just me, but these things f- fucking stress me out. And it's part of the reason, like, I'm done. I have done. An anxiety, an anxiety clutch on my heart right now with you describing the <laughs> risk of the tape attaching yeah. itself to the book when you're removing it from the yeah. sleeve. Like, why? Yeah. Yeah. Life's too short. This is why I'm mostly done with, with single issues. Is It's like I already get anxious about so many other things in my day-to-day life. Comic books is such a wide spectrum of like collector's anxiety, preservation anxiety, things that if if you find other ways to support the industry and you find yourself psychologically burdened by these sorts of things, you know, don't hesitate to find ways to get that out of your life. Yeah, I I I think all of us have uh, approached this from a, a range of professional and anecdotal personal experience with how this journey has been different for all of us so it's i know it's super unhelpful to just be like do what's best for you but i think this is something that everybody has to uh just like sit with yourself and think okay do i really enjoy 
this aspect of collecting? Do I really have the space for this? Do I really have the time? Do I really have the money? Am I buying this because I feel obligated or because I actually want to and am interested in? I don't think you have to go to a local comic shop for absolutely every little thing if you don't actually want to buy every little thing and are just buying it to support your shop. Like that's lovely, but that's not mm-hmm. ultimately helpful to to either of you because if you're buying things out of a sense of an obligation, how does the comic shop owner know what you're actually interested in buying and can then calibrate what they're buying from the publishers to give you the best yeah. experience? And if you are trying to figure out just like how to support um, people in the industry in general like yeah it takes more work but like look at what the creators you like are posting on social media a lot of creators are very vocal about where you can buy their stuff in the way that like gives them the biggest cut or Mm -hmm. like supports them in the way that they think is best once the pandemic dies down fingers crossed comic conventions will be another thing where you can actually buy things directly from the creators. Like there are Mm -hmm. so many different ways of thinking about this. It's not one size fits all. And you really just have to come back to like, how do I feel about this? Can I afford this? Do I have the space? Do I actually want to collect things or do I just feel I have to collect things? Yeah, no, these are, these are all great points. I, uh, my, my last thought here would be, uh, I mean, honestly, it should not be on you to have to figure out how to support your local economy. Yeah, why right? is this you? Uh, it's, no, 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 no. Like, no. Why is this it, just it, exactly. you? Yeah. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. And it's not about like the individual, right? It is not um, on, on on anybody that should have to figure out like, how do I support my local comic? The problem is that like the comic book industry is kind of fucked, right? Like in terms of how it's it, it actually treats its primary distributors of comics, right? Structure and so, organization. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not on you to say, like, I need to save this thing. It is on the businesses themselves. And that's that's like a real fucking Mike's a big old capitalist of the capital C like mindset of it. But like, honestly, we need to restructure the way that we distribute comic books to people, period. Um, that being said, with the we, we do have to live in the world that we live in. So I would say to, you know, echoing Kara's point of like, buy what you want to buy. And it, it's not on you to try to save your local comic shop. Um, if you need to get rid of books give them away for free, sell them to people for shipping. You know, like I said before, burn them in your um, yard <laughs> or recycle them. Honestly, if you don't want them, you don't have to keep them. Even if it is quote unquote art, keep the ones that you want. Even if it's just one issue out of an 80 issue run. So what, what, what's the pain there? You know, that's, that's my final thought about it. Some of the issues that I was getting rid of when I was doing my big purge, I cut out pictures that I thought were cool. And I have a, like a little box of those. And I'm like, one day I'll make a craft with these. Like there's other ways of enjoying the aesthetics of the comic book. That's not just like the sacred tome must never be besmirched. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I do like that Kara swapped the delusion of one day I'll read this for one day. This will be part of a project. I think that's, <laughs> I mean, I'm not calling you out Kara, but I do love that. It was like one, you know, delusion of grandeur that just, just, got replaced with another one which um you know if that if that's not life what is yeah if not a series of delusions of grandeur what would we all be interchangeable interchangeable Uh delusions yeah yeah um 
Anyways, thank you guys for the discussion, and thank you, Jeff, again for supporting us on Patreon at that tier, at the ten dollar tier. Um, thank you for being part of the IRCB Inner Circle. This was an amazing topic that I think we could have gone on for another hour today with. Um, but I'm going to wrap things up here. Uh, next week's episode is going to be me and Renee. We're going to be joined by our good friend Gabe Cheng to talk about comic books. He's got a new Kickstarter coming out, which I'm excited about. But we're going to do a big old no topic episode again and just chat about comics with Gabe. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, as always, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow Kara at Kara S. Sam. You can follow Nick at Death Star Plans. You can follow me at Mike Rappin, and you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast. This episode first aired on Patreon and is possible because of our wonderful patrons. You can join today for access to such exclusive series as IRCB Movie Club, Saga of Saga, and more. You can join now at patreon.com forward slash IRCB Podcast. Celebrate my birthday by rating and reviewing our show five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Yes, they have ratings or wherever you listen to podcasts because I definitely deserve it. Do it for me, guys. Five stars everywhere you listen. (laughs) Please. Uh, We would also love it if you joined the IRCB Discord community to chat comics and more. Plus, you can listen to our episodes live as we record every week. Uh, There's a link to our Discord in the show notes. Podcasts grow best when spread by word of mouth, so why not tell your friends, family, and local comic shop, we've been talking about them a lot today, about I Read Comic Books. (laughs) Yeah, you could definitely tell them how I said, fuck them, the capitalist (laughs) society that... (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding. I love comic book shops. It's just the industry's broken. Uh, Infinity Shred is the (laughs) The best band in the universe. They do all of our music. Uh, We can't thank them enough. They've been gracious to let us use their music for so many years. Um, Xander is a very cool guy who edits our show every week. And uh, real sorry about this. I was going to say, maybe Uh, not after this week. (laughs) This this might be his last go round. I want to say thank you to Nick and Kara for being on this episode with me. Double extra thanks to Jeff for commissioning this episode. We really appreciate it. Thank you to Danny for hanging out with us live. And thank you to everyone out there who listens to the show and supports us. You are fantastic human beings. And until next time, comics are good. And so are you. Comics are good.